You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme we're going to hear from a fabulous chef, Pamela Kelly, who is head chef at the Market Lane restaurant in Cork City. We'll be going to Dingle to talk to Caroline Rigney from Curra Chase to find out how her granola got on at this year's Blossom Erin Awards. When I was down at Dingle at the weekend, I met Russell and Patrick, aka the Gastro Gays. They are now my new BFFs. And I also found out about the science behind the Blossom Erin Awards with Dr. Joe Carey and Blossom Erin was celebrating 10 years at the weekend. What an incredible achievement. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here at the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So my first guest this evening is Chef Pamela Kelly. She was on a recent trip to Ballinwillen Farm in Mitchellstown when we got a chance to taste the organic farmed venison and wild boar and tasty it was. I got a chance to have a chat with her to find out a bit more about her and a bit more about the restaurant in Cork. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. You're from the Market Lane restaurant in Cork City. Tell us a bit about the restaurant and the sort of food that you serve there. Um, well, Market Lane, um, it's in it's on Oliver Plunkett Street, which is a fantastic street full of vibrancy. And, you know, it's a real um, thoroughfare for people. It's pedestrianised, you know, most of the day. So we've got like a great lot of tourists and locals who walk around and walk past the restaurant. So we're lucky to be in a position where there's a lot of footfall and um, we're quite busy, you know, for lunch and for dinner. Um, it's just um, near the top um, end of it beside near the bus station by Parnell Place. Um, but um, it's I suppose it's 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 around so long it's almost like an institution it's 10 years this year open so luckily for us a lot of the locals would know exactly where to send people if they're looking for Market Lane it's it's well known within the local community and how many years have you been there um, I'm there just over three and a half years now um, three and a half great years, you know, um, the business itself has grown in so many different ways over that amount of time, you know, through personally with um, the different initiatives we have going on and professionally, you know, we're always trying to make ourselves better. You know, it's it's the ethos within the company is progression. And, you know, that's that's the reason why I love it. And that's the reason why I'm, I'm still there kind of going strong. Whenever you say you're a busy restaurant, what sort of covers are you talking about every week? Um, on average, we do about three and a half thousand covers and coming up to Christmas, that might get a little bit higher. Um, but I mean, it's very controlled environment. Um, we know we operate at our optimum and at our best when we're busy because, you know, that's what we're used to. Um, we are designed to be a, a restaurant where it's based on walk-ins rather than a booking policy. So we do take bookings for six people and over but we only book out a certain percentage of the restaurant so the rest of it is is there for walk-ins for people who are just you know ad-libbing that they're going to go for a bite to eat and if there's not space available straight away they can either sit at the fully licensed bar and have a drink or they can pop around the corner to one of the lovely pubs that are around and we give them a call when their table is ready. To cater for that number, you must have a substantial team of people working with you in the kitchen itself. Yeah, well, we d- I do. Um, there's 25 of us currently. Um, for Christmas, we'll need 27 chefs. Um, but I mean, the reason why we have such a high level of chefs is so that we can almost guarantee a great work-life balance, which is part of our ethos and part of why we have such a big team where our service chefs work, you know, four long days, maybe a 12 to close, a 10 hour day, four days a week. And our production team who are in the production kitchen, whether it's on pastry or, you know, the savoury side, do their 40 hour weeks over eight hour days, like, you know, Monday to Friday or Tuesday to Saturday. And um, it just allows people and chefs to have, you know, a more of a work life balance, which is really, really important, especially in this day and age. Well, it sounds like the conditions, the working conditions are very good there compared to what people perceive conditions to be in the hospitality industry. And we are looking at a chef crisis in Ireland where we have a huge shortage of chefs so to have 25 in your team and to be increasing that to 27 for Christmas do you find it difficult to actually recruit people and to find good good talent out there? 
Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's as difficult for us as everybody else. But I mean, we have an open door policy where we interview and trial and meet people of different caliber all the time, whether we're hiring or we're not. You know, to, we'd always speak to people who are interested in the company and who are interested in joining us. Um, so once we have that kind of, you know, little background of, of people who want to jump on board when we need them, we're luckily enough that that they're there waiting, you know, um, we do offer so much more than just the work-life balance um, with, with training of chefs and, and front-of-house staff. We have so much internal training. Um, I mean, yesterday I was at a food and beer training in the morning where we brew our own beer in Elbow Lane, um, you know, five types of beer. And I was in there with Stephen, who's the head chef and owner of Elbow Lane and the brewer Russell. And we were tasting the beers and matching it up to dishes on our menus across the four venues um, just to give us the knowledge and, you know, to sit down and taste the food and link it with the beer so that we have, uh, you know, we're building up knowledge ourselves, you know, of how to match up dishes. And it helps us with making menu choices in the future. And it also it's open to the kitchen staff, but also to the floor staff so they can see that, you know, the thinking behind the creation of the menu and the lovely combination of our own homemade beers that, you know, that's a natural upsell, you know, to to a customer. But um, it's the, the ultimate provenance, you know, and even talking about the the grain and the spent grain, we're talking about ways to use that in food, which we do a bit. But Stephen does a lot more in Elbow, but also the process of the spent mash and spent grain goes to Ross Carberry, who's our pig supplier, who feeds her pigs, who also supplies all the breakfast, um, you know, pudding and sausages for the Castle Cafe. So we're really full circle thinkers, you know, and that's what we're trying to hone in on at the moment, you know, is building, you know, that strength and, you know, self-sufficiency, you know. Whenever whenever it comes to the menu, then tell us about some of the dishes that are on the menu. You're very particular about where your ingredients come from. So you must use a lot of local suppliers and, and incorporate their produce into your dishes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I'm in, in Cork City for 15 years, so I've met so many passionate producers over the years through their different places I've worked you know like um, if we're going to put chorizo on a menu it's going to be from Gabine if we're going to put a nice goat's cheese on it's going to be from Jane and Art Sala who delivers to the door you know as I said the pork products that come from Avril and Russ Carberry um, we have a big um, relationship with the butchers and the fishmongers in the market all our fish comes from Ballycotton and um, we also have a fisherman who um, fi- um, buys fish from the boats in Kinsale and smokes it for us smoked haddock Royston O'Flynn in Kinsale and, you know, it's a lot to manage when you're thinking about um, all those really small producers and incorporating them and having a bit of patience to be a bit more on their time, you know, if they're not going through a big produce, a big supplier. But I mean, we love working with the small, the small businesses and um, we get great satisfaction, especially if they're delivering to our door. And for those who don't, I mean, we're lucky that we have like LaRousse Foods is such an indigenous company and supports small farmers and growers. Um, you know, to no end. I mean, one of our products that's coming on on menu for autumn is our Ballinwill and Wild Boar, which we used um, we use intermittently, but it's coming on for a season now. And I've met Pat and I've met the family down there. I've visited the farm, and you know they pop in to check up on everything every so often. So even though we don't buy directly from them, we use the channel of Larousse. We still have a great relationship with them. You know, they're local. They're just down in Mitchellstown. And um, it's it's phenomenal. And that you want to represent them well and you want to do them proud. And if they do come in, that they see themselves, you know, a shining light of a part of a menu. And, you know, that's that's really what it's all about in Market Lane. And Ballinwillen is also known for its organic farmed venison. Do you find that there's much demand for venison dishes on the menu? Well, I mean, we do. Uh, we use their, their game and their venison for Christmas. It always features on the menu. But I mean, I'm coming to learn now more recently that this organic farm is, uh, you know, their meat is available 12 months of the year. And I suppose as a chef, you always think of the wild venison and the seasonality of it. And, you know, you kind of, t- you know, your mind kind of works that way that you prepare with lovely dark prunes and wine and mushrooms and really like winter wholesome foods but I mean maybe it's a little bit of a challenge now for a chef to come up with great ideas for like the venison in the summer months or in spring and you know that's something that I'm going to you know really think about now since I've you know since I've got that knowledge and that's what's 
really important about visiting the producer and seeing their outlet and and their availability and their you know their stock it's it's really really important for a chef to have that kind of knowledge you're mentioning there a lot about the training that you do with your team and then visiting producers like there's so much learning and knowledge can be gained by doing that you yourself you did the search program just explain what that is because i know that doesn't exist anymore but there is a lot of calls for the government to, to bring that back that it was a very successful program for training in the hospitality industry well i mean i did i did the cert course in gmit back in 2001 and 2002 um for me i mean maybe i was quite young i was 17 and i'd come from a restaurant background anyway my dad is a chef so you know i i needed to get the formal training to kind of learn a bit more than just what my dad could teach me or the couple of restaurants i was in locally in balnaslow that could teach me and i found it absolutely phenomenal but i mean the difference there was that, you know, you were really supported. There was a grant initiative there that got chefs into the kitchen. There was um, a laundry service, which may not seem very important, but when you're trying to balance your college life and your work life schedule and having clean uniforms for both as a student is really difficult, you know, and it's just... I mean, all of those things that were available to us now, I mean, I appreciate them a lot more retrospectively looking back than I do now. And I just think that with the current crisis that we need to look, you know, at the really big picture of how to, you know, train people in a way that suits the modern life and, you know, to to get them in there, in there, first of all, but to mind them and to, to look after them. Because I think that even when we do training internally, you know, from people who come in with very little English and little skills, whether they come in on wash up or as a kitchen porter, whatever, that we invest time in them and in time into their training to bring them up through the ranks, you know, quite successfully, actually, like we have a lot of, you know, success, success stories in the kitchen of of chefs and even people who've progressed from the kitchen to the floor to service to management you know i mean we could write a book on it now but it's all about the patience the training the kindness and the real listening to what people want and putting them on their path you know you could see somebody that is you know has a natural skill or a natural interest in food to harness it and to work on it you know not everybody wants to come in as a kitchen porter to progress to be a chef but maybe in the hospitality industry, there is something there that we can offer them as a restaurant business, you know, to get them to the next stage, to get them away from the sink and to progress in their career, you know. And that's what is tailoring training for the person is really important. That's really interesting. You say that you start your father was a chef and yeah. you started in the kitchen with him because sometimes that can go a completely different way and turn somebody off following in a parent's footsteps. But he obviously inspired you very much. Oh, he absolutely did, you know, but at the same time, like while I was working with my dad, like he had restaurants in Dublin and in Balnasloe and, you know, I worked with him very well, you know, and it it was fantastic time. But at the same time, I was looked after, you know, I may not have been worked as hard as maybe I should have been for my own benefit, which is one of the things that, you know, when I went into another industry or another kitchen that I found it a little bit more difficult because I was expected to be faster, I was expected to be stronger. And um, I didn't want um, to let my dad down or anything like that in this new place. So, I mean, I really pushed myself and made sure that I was keeping up with everybody else, you know. And I think that self-determination and self, you know, drive is so important in chefs. It's it's the one thing that will see you through a busy service or that will get you to the next level in whether it's from a commie chef to a chef to partie or into management. It's all about self-drive. And I mean, if you have someone, I've had so many inspirational people in my life that I've worked with. But I mean, if you're that kind of person that wants people to do people proud, I think you're going to get very far in this industry, you know. What advice would you give to a young person that is considering a career as a chef? To think about the end game, you know, to think about where they want to be in one year, five years and 10 years time, you know, to look structurally at their plans. You know, I've so many people um, and chefs who come in as a first year commie who whose ambition is to be a head chef in two years, you know, and who might not have realistic goals in mind. And maybe because they haven't sat down and spoke with someone in the industry of, of how difficult it is to get there. 
I mean, I'm a chef for 10, head chef for 10 years. And if the one advice I give to my commies is learn everything as you're going. Don't go into once you're at the top, you can only learn from people who come in around you. And that's great. I do learn every day, but I wish I'd spent more time, you know, perfecting all of the levels, you know, that are needed to be a really great chef, you know, and that's what I'd say, just persistence. Um, have your eye on the end game, like which is your five year plan or your 10 year plan and be realistic. And if you really want to be a head chef in four years, then, you know, you really have to put the hours in the effort in and, you know, the outside, you know, you're clocking in and clocking out. But the external learning, the visits to the farm, the the looking um, up recipes, the following of people who inspire you and have inspiration around you, because if you're not inspired by people outside your own little circle, you're going to be very stagnant very quick because food is progressing at an almighty rate, like way faster. We're past the French basics are so important and it's what we're our, all our foundations are. We need to look at the other things that are going around the Nordic and even the really good Irish influencers that are that are around at the moment. So having achieved the head chef role yourself, what's next for you? What do you want to achieve in the next 10 years? Well, my 10 year game, which is probably the same as my 10 years ago game, because I was quite ambitious, is to have my own place. But I'm lucky now that I'm in a company where I'm so supported and they're offering me endless amount of training, really on spec as in chef chef wise and food wise but also employment law and you know different things and um, you know disciplinary actions and all of that to really focus and sharpen those skills because um, every chef well not every chef but a lot of chefs believe they can open a restaurant but once you put them in a scenario where they have to control a restaurant floor or they have to do the books or they have to do any of those kind of things they'll really realize very quickly they're out of their depth and um, I've been lucky enough to be given, I had a little stage in the floor market lane and it really opened my eyes to how difficult it is. And, you know, to be a chef, a restaurant owner, a chef, you can't just be a chef. You need to be a big all rounder and you need to be humble enough to accept that and get the training to, to make yourself a better person front and back, I believe anyway. And looking back over your career, what have the highlights been so far? Like you obviously have achieved an awful lot and you did you know, tick off all those goals that you set for yourself. But if there was one shining moment, can you can you tell us what it was? One shining moment. Now, that'd be quite difficult. You know, I mean, I suppose now in my life where I am at the moment where I have a great team and um, a supportive team, supportive um, people who own the restaurant. And I've got they've been really great enough to give me time to explore things outside of Market Lane like I'm doing a pop-up in in a few weeks time which is going to be like our ethos which Market Lane is my ethos I mean we hold the same values which is great but I mean I get to do one night out where I run my own restaurant and like get a taste for that and keeps me interested and keeps my fire burning so I mean if one shining moment is right now like I couldn't be happier really if I'm honest Um, I, I work with great people and I mean, they're there to to help support me in any goals that I go and want to achieve. They're there and in a more structured manner because I'm quite a daydreamer. And if I didn't have the scaffolding of the staff and the owners in Market Lane at the moment, I'd be, you know, I'd be creating all these crazy and fantastic ideas, but I'd never get there. You know, they keep me on the path. And, you know, I think I'm on a great path at the moment. Well, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Congratulations on oh, your success you. today and we wish you all the very best into the future. I think there's lots of great things still to come. Well, thank you very, very much. So lovely to talk to you. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Pamela Kelly, head chef at Market Lane in Cork City. And if you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll be hearing how Caroline Rigney from Currachias in County Limerick got on at this year's Blossnairn Awards. And we'll also hear about the science behind the judging from Joe Carey, 
who is the academic director of the awards. But before that, Dingle was of course a hive of activity for food lovers at the weekend because of the Blossom Air and Irish Food Awards and the Dingle Food Festival. You couldn't turn a corner without seeing a familiar face and it's a wonderful place to meet old friends and also to make new ones. And my new BFFs are Russell and Patrick who are well known in the food world as the Gastro Gaze. Have a listen to this. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. I'm with the Gastro Gaze. Russell and Patrick, you're in Dingle. I thought you were in London, but you're in Ireland now. Full no time. more. Oh, it's all changed. No now. more. We decided to kick Big Ben right down. <laughs> and we're now back in Dublin. Well, Drogheda, but we say Dublin for handiness sake. Yeah, after almost five years there, we chose to come home because there's no better place than right now to be in Ireland and in Irish food, so that's why. Well, you must tell us what it is you do for a living. I know, but not everybody knows. Your bloggers, Snapchatters. Yes, yeah, so we are basically uh, living on social media. So we are food and travel bloggers with a love of Eurovision on the side as well. Oh, we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, probably <laughs> around May. Um, and we just love to create different recipes. We love to write different travel guides, mainly food-based travel guides around different cities around Ireland and Europe in particular. And we're on Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and all those things just talking and just sharing the love of food and sometimes you catch us on TV as well we're and in print yeah in yeah, yeah. Irish Times in Cara etc etc so you're you're very busy and of course what people want to know whenever they come across bloggers is mm. where do you how do you earn the money to pay the bills well for us this was a slow slow process so we've been blogging for five years now and um to be honest, we've only turned this into our career in the last three months, half year. So it was a case of you have to put the work in and get the connections and you have to have an audience there already. Um, but, you know, through um, sponsorship or campaigns mm. or through sponsored trips and for us our um, main source is contributions mm. but the main thing when it comes to sponsorship in particular is it's well and, well and good to just turn around and take and accept anything it's when something fits and your audience accepts that that's the most important thing our mantra is we're nothing without our audience and we're very lucky that we have a dedicated loyal following who interact with us talk to us and engage with us on a daily basis and it's like a lovely little family mm-hmm. and if we didn't have them it would be pointless yeah. and if they don't like what we're doing if something's completely off brand for what they think gastrogaze would like it's it's might be money in the bank but it's not worthwhile mm-hmm. so you you have a lot of integrity then yeah, yeah. oh integrity is key you that know is our yeah. Thing, yeah we'd hate anyone to think that we're selling out or anything like that because you know it is it, it's been five years of hard work to try to get to a point where we can say well this is our job now yeah so we're really really keen on making sure we maintain that integrity and respect yeah because let's face it bloggers have a bit they get a bit of a bad oh, reputation yeah. Yeah. Now, again some of them do because yeah. they are better known as blaggers yes. at times yeah and that's something that you want to put out there that that's not your gig at all absolutely i mean Bloggers come in all shapes and sizes and forms and, you know, there isn't one uh, rule that everyone has to conform to. But I think for us, um, you can go about this in a very integrity-driven way and you can go under the radar and you can, you know, just have a love of food and of produce and explore that and share it. Um, and that you have to have that authentic voice and that you have to create an audience who really trusts your voice honestly because if you haven't that everyone just thinks that you're you know an advertising stream or that you're just squawking about any place that will um, give you the goods so you have to be authentic and it upsets me when I see some really good writers and really good bloggers falling down that route because I know that they can do so much more and saying yes to everything is easy saying no is hard but sometimes saying no is better for your audience at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and if they uh, 
agree with you that you have a decent opinion that you know if I say this restaurant is very very good and they believe you that is worth its weight in gold uh, we've met so many people here at the uh, Bloss Awards this weekend who we have just given a promotion whether it's a tweet whether it's including in a guide of you know the X amount of best whatevers they have been like thank you so much thank you it means so so much to us rather than pooling together as one big group of bloggers as such turning up to an event or turning up to a dinner or whatever it's so so important to have a unique integrity driven voice in this world and to to do our job we have to have those producers Mm. I mean they are the stars here it's just us who have this this um platform to share them it's their produce it's their story so we're here in dingle at the moment the dingle food festival and you were judging at the bloss Nairn. that's your first time judging at the bloss Nairn. our very first time well yeah. what did you think amazing yeah i mean the organization that goes into this weekend is mind-blowing i mean we we have had an idea of it previously but to actually be here and see the work that goes into it and the blind judging and the organization and um, all of the talks, the events, it is absolutely incredible. And we have sat at home on Twitter for years following this this weekend and we thought we need to get there at some point and we're so glad that we're finally here. Yeah, it's been it's been a real privilege to be here and just to meet so many people who you know, we know a brand name of, we know the producer's name of, but we never met. And then just to see them really, at, you know, at a big peak of their professional lives, being able to say, I'm one of the best in Ireland. It's a real, it's a real joy to be around to witness that. And, you know, we are such believers in the importance of supporting local and supporting Irish produce and Irish food. And it's just... Oh, it just makes you so excited looking around and seeing all the products that are available here and the ideas and the passion and the stories behind so many people. Yeah. Just, just need to be able to tell them louder and yeah. you know, tell as many people as possible. And on the taste trail today, tell us what goodies you enjoyed. Oh my God. So we had a seafood feast exclusively today. Well, we're in Dingle. We have to. Absolutely. So we had um, oysters. We had garlicky crab claws and butter. Which you then, you were like, okay, can you just just hold this for a second and he gave me the bones of the cartilage of the remnants of the crab claw and then he just started drinking the oil from it because it was so delicious amazing juice it was so good we had scallops and anascal black pudding Uh, we had tacos fish tacos fish tacos we had um, a cocktail or two with the local gin of course um, yeah, it was amazing, and we are going to have lots more over the weekend as well. Yeah. I think. I don't get the sense that you're missing the cuisine in London. Mm, there's moments. There's moments. So we, the biggest thing that we miss is the street food scene, and actually, that's probably why we're in love with Dingle this weekend in particular because it's we're getting the taster. Yeah, yeah, it's been able to go and go and have about six or seven different things and different creations over the course of a couple of hours. The London market scene is mind-blowing, isn't it? It's, you know, go on a Saturday morning and you're able to get a lamb flatbread and then a burger with hundreds of things in it. All kinds of stuff. And we do miss that quite a lot. So that's normally our first port of call when we visit any time. And you mentioned about being on TV, so you're both accomplished cooks yourself. Can you see yourself opening your own place, having your own TV show? Like, what's the dream do you we, work for TV? <laughs> well, any any um, editors out there, any commissioners, <laughs> yeah. you know. No, but I mean, we came home um, after a couple of years in London with a plan. And uh, we have lots of ideas about um, a cookbook, a cafe, some products that may appear a blast inherent in future. Who Probably knows? can't judge them ourselves anyway. But hey. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but we have big dreams yeah. and um, Ireland is an incredible place to be right now and we're so happy yeah. to be home and to take on the world. And we're just so happy that we have the opportunity to be among a very small amount of bloggers 
on TV at the moment. Yeah. It, it was complete chance that we got on TV in the first place. It was, it was a long winded chance, a long winded, <laughs> and a lot of um, waiting around and a complete mess up of a screen test that magically turned into us ending up on live television every month at least but it's it's a real it's a real privilege a real joy to be able to do that and be able to share with people and demystify cooking in so many ways well great to talk to you it sounds like your lift is here now the engine is running <laughs> so i let you go off on your travels around the rest of the town and enjoy the night out of the town i'm sure you'll be going for a few beverages and refreshments and it's been lovely to talk to you and do keep in touch oh, you too thank, thank you so, you so much, much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Russell and Patrick, a.k.a. The Gastro Gaze. Their website is gastrogaze.com. So have a look on there for inspiring travel stories, delicious recipes and lots more. And we'll keep an eye out for their next appearance on The Six O'Clock Show on TV3. Earlier in the programme, I was talking to Chef Pamela Kelly, head chef in the Market Lane restaurant in Cork. And if you're just tuning in, you can catch up in those interviews tomorrow morning at 9am when the best possible taste is repeated on West Limerick 102 FM. Or check out the podcasts on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and on the taste.ie website. Voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. So between the Blossnair and Irish Food Awards and Dingle Food Festival, Dingle was undoubtedly the place to be at the weekend and the town was teeming with artisan food and drink producers from across Ireland hoping to take home a very much coveted award. West Limerick's Caroline Rigney was there flying the flag for where I'm from and I think I was more nervous than she was waiting for the result and I've put together a little montage. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, tell us why you're in Dingle today. Well, Sharon, I'm in Dingle because my um, one of my granolas, uh, my goji berry and flame raisin granola, um, went through to the finals. So, or as a finalist, I guess. And I'm delighted. Just highlight what the two different flavours are because you've two okay. different varieties there with two different ingredients and it's gluten free is something that you must highlight. Yes, actually that's very important. It is gluten free but I want to be gluten free for everybody not just gluten free for people who are need to for medical reason or whatever. The fact that it's gluten free is just a bonus because it's a delicious granola for everybody and that was very important for me not to get niched into one particular area the fact that it's gluten-free is just a bonus and you don't notice that it's gluten-free because it's so tasty. A lot of gluten-free goods are quite bland and and, and boring but mine actually ticks all the boxes on flavour and nutrition as well and there's no added sugar which is also important in this day and age. Is this your first time at Blossnerum? Um, I entered previously with the pork products but um, I and I never came down to Dingle before but uh, I'm amazed at it I'm delighted with it it's huge it's it's a it's very, um, it's daunting actually. It's so big, I can't believe it. But anyway, it's lovely to be here. And what are you hoping for today at the awards? Well, you see, my pork is very artisan. It's and it, it serves the farmhouse and it serves the the local community and the farmers markets that we do. But the granola, I'm hoping it'll grow. I'm hoping it'll grow legs and basically, as I said to somebody else, world domination. You know, whereas the pork isn't doing that. It's staying in Limerick, pretty much. What would getting an award like Blossnerin Award mean to that product and achieving that goal? Well, it, it would give it um, recognition, you know, that it could travel. Blossnerin is very well known now and it's kind of a very high, it is a very high standard. And um, I think the recognition of that Bloss recognises it would help it travel. It would give it that extra, rather than having to go the, the hard slog with everything, I think it would give it a lift. And you have to wait now until the announcement is made. So how are you feeling at the moment? I'm feeling grand, actually. I'm not a bit worried. I was I was quite concerned on Thursday when I knew the judging was happening and I was sort of willing them to like it. So once Thursday was over, it's done really and now I just have to wait and see. And sure, hopefully it was done. And if it's not, sure what are. We'll were have you, to. Were you lighting candles and sending positive messages? I was sending positive vibes to them. I was definitely, yes. Yes, while I was making sausages. <laughs> Tell us how you came up with the idea of making granola. So the granola came up with, like, 
I, as you yourself, Sharon, do, and a lot of people around Limerick would know me, I'm be very well known for my free-range pork and for the experiential farmhouse bed and breakfast. So really and truly, the breakfast, when the guests come down to it, they wake up to all produce off the farm and wake up to the smell of freshly baked bread. And I felt that the commercial cereals available were really letting it down. So I just felt I needed something else. And it was a huge hit with the guests. They love it. I mean, whereas they weren't eating cereals, they're not bothering with them. They're now eating the cereals, loving it. And certainly then if they were vegetarian, it was lovely for them to have something really special off the farm to give them. You know, so it just worked so much. And it was the guests that encouraged me to go on further with it. I really probably hadn't any intentions early on of doing that and it's grown legs and it's grown energy and vitality and hopefully now it's in lovely packaging and it's in about 10 stores around Limerick and, and Kerry and hopefully it'll grow from there. Can you describe the atmosphere here with all the different producers because there, there's a lot of buzz going on, there's a lot of people here, they're chatting, they're networking. Are you getting involved in that? I am, I'm chatting to people, I'm meeting people. There's so many people I know their faces and they know my face and we're meeting and we're saying, where the hell do I know you from? And then you get chatting and then there's people that I know that I meet time and time again at various markets and it's lovely to meet up again. But there's a lot of nervousness as well. There's people on tender hooks waiting, hoping, you know, because it could just make the difference to them to get the, the award. We're crossing our fingers for you. Best of luck. Thanks and we'll check much. in with you later. Lovely, Sharon. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Moving on to the next category, breakfast cereals. First category that is a breakfast cereal granola. And the goal of this category goes to Wrigley's Farmhouse Pudding to get a Wrigley's Granola and Goji Berry. Carol, and congratulations. I'm absolutely delighted, Sharon. I'm thrilled all together. Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled. What does it mean to you? Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. I'm shaking. And those few steps up to the stage then to collect it, you just, you were grinning from ear to ear. I ran up. <laughs> yeah, I was delighted. I was absolutely delighted. thrilled. I, I'm a bit stuck for words, but I'm just really, really happy now that it's, it's got gold and it'll help it travel and it'll help it do what it has to do. So a plan of action in place next week and go, go, go with it. I have I, you to, bought yes. your labels and I got everything. my labels already, so getting on to the labels is going into the shops and I suppose Twitter and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. Well, it's a great product. Just remind us which product won gold it's, in its category at the Blossnair and Irish Rigney's Farmhouse Granola, the Goji Berry and Flame Raisin. Congratulations, Caroline. Thanks well so much, Sharon. Thanks a million. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. So well done Caroline and the many other winners. It was great to see Limerick doing so well this year and I think there was something like 15 awards given out in the county and with over 2,500 products entered into 130 categories, 72 judges sitting down at two sessions to taste the 500 products that had been judged at the preliminary session in UCC and that had been whittled down from 2,500 to 500. The system used is science based and Joe Carey is the man at the helm of its development and he explained the process to me in more detail. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Joe, what's your role in Blossnair and the Irish Food Awards? Uh, well, Sharon, um, I'm the academic director for Blossnair and I'm based in UCC. Um, and for the last 10 years, uh, UCC has been kind of core in the development of, of Bloss mainly because we kind of have built the sensory system as, as a tool that has been used for the last 10 years actually in BLOSS um, and, and which we've actually published on so it's, it's actually a, a standard and accepted method now at this point in time and um, uh, like uh, effectively it's, it's uh, it, I suppose in the area in UCC where I'm from I'm, I'm the head of the, of the food packaging group there and part of of that has been that the that the group is kind of comprised of a number of different of different pillars. Uh, one of them actually being uh, sensory, um, and it was it, quite a long ten years ago. Hard to believe that we're actually talking about like ten years now 
Um, but I remember the meeting where, uh, following a, 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 a phone call from Artie, uh, and Artie and myself have been friends for a long time. We, we, I was kind of working in the seafood area and product development, and Artie, of course, had a company in, in that in that area, and we kind of knocked around with one another on and off like over the years and so often we just have chats and one day I got this call from Marty and it was what you think about the idea of having a competition uh, where uh, we, we'd, we'd look at having some kind of a system that would honour uh, the food industry uh, by, by, by producing an award system for small producers and I, once we had established that it wasn't going to be a parochial thing and that it actually was going to be national, uh, we were all on board and we actually had our first meeting down here in Dingle in the, in the town council uh, rooms and that was the buy-in. There was four of us from UCC that day and after we left that meeting it was really about sitting down back in UCC trying to devise a system that we could actually use. Uh, I suppose to discriminate between products, but we had to simplify a lot of, we had to take complicated sensory systems and produce one that was simple, uh, discerning, so that you could separate the various different products, but could be applied across all product groups to allow us to be in a situation that you'd have all your individual group winners, but the scoring system could actually be used to pick a supreme champion, which is very unusual to actually have that type of a system in any kind of a food awards. Tell us a bit more about the scoring system and what judges have to go on whenever they, they get an item to judge. Well, the judging system uh, has been broken down actually into kind of five areas. And 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 again, they're, they're kind of five, five core items that actually help us separate all of the different, so that, so that, uh, that, that help us actually separate products uh, from one another using a common sensory approach. Um, effectively, as most consumers, when they're out in the supermarket and they're actually buying the product, it's about the way that it looks, it's about the way that it smells, it's about like the texture associated with the product and the flavour, of course, is really important. So those three criteria are actually built into the scoring system and, and that works for all food and beverage categories and that may sound very kind of strange when you talk about a texture to a, to a beverage but you can. Uh, and then, so they're very, they're very scientific terms, people can relate to them, Any, anybody who likes their food, very very important parameters to be able to measure. But then to try and discern and trying to make sure that products are separated from one another based on scores, we then move away from scientific, from the core sci scientific terms used in uh, on on our sensory sheets, and effectively we ask people then to stand back and actually make a comment about the product in relation to its overall satisfaction. So I, how satisfied are you with the actual product? And then you're also asked to kind of project where you think this particular product might actually be in the marketplace in terms of how successful it might be. And that helps because we're mixing the variables and by mixing those type of variables, people can be very, very definite about sensory terms but because they actually have to stand back and actually view the product in a different way. The scoring changes actually for those uh, attributes and consequently when you look across a product that scores really well on all five, that's got a massive vote of confidence from that particular judge. And consequently when it actually comes to what we do in UCC uh, for the whole month of July, uh, and what we eventually roll out here for for the week uh, in in Dingle, uh, it's it, it it is effectively using that scoring system where where you see very little overlap in 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 gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals. There, we 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 can have them, it, it but it happens very rarely. So that effectively that means that whoever's won. Uh, and who's ever actually has that goal, they've actually scored really well across the board with whatever number of judges were actually used. And one of the fascinating things, and I suppose we've been doing it up to a certain point in time on this, but 
maybe in UCC in a particular category we might actually have 30 products. Our job is not actually to pick gold, silver and bronze in UCC. Our job is basically to rank the 30 products from 1 to 30. It's the job of the judges in Dingle to take the six or top six or top five or whatever it is that makes it through to Dingle. It's up to them to decide who gets gold, silver and bronze. And they can focus on a, a, a much shorter uh, listing of, of products. But the interesting thing is that if you actually take, if we go back and we take this, the, 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 I suppose the, con the conclusions from the judges here, and we compare them to the conclusions from our own judges back actually in UCC, there is greater than a 90% correlation between what actually comes out as the gold medal winner here and what comes out as number one when we're actually listing the products back in UCC. And I think that's, that's fascinating in itself that we're actually using completely different panels of judges and yet they all think the same thing about the products, up to 90%. And it's blind tasting, so you know that's obviously something that must have been discussed at the start. Why would you go down the blind tasting route? Well, you know, it's yes, and blind tasting is really important that uh, effectively we were removing the element of packaging from, and, and even though we have a special award for packaging, um, it's a standalone, it's, uh, it's a particular grouping that actually uh, goes through all the products to, to try and judge the product separately in terms of its packaging. But blind tasting is really important because it's the only way to end up being fair to all the products that come in. So you're not making any prejudgments on it, you're not trying to influence anybody by any background information, it's just the, it's just the judge and the product and their opinion about it. And the, the beauty actually in all of this, and the beauty of Bloss is that we're not talking about the, the, we're not talking about Michelin star chefs making decisions on we're, we're actually we have the ordinary people of Ireland who go into the supermarkets every week and buy these products uh, and they know what they like and what they don't like the packaging might have done its job the first time around it's, if it's good product they'll keep buying it after and it's very very important that when the products come into us that we're not allowing something like packaging or any other external influences to, to cause the judge to prejudge the product for, uh, incorrectly. I think that's a very important point about the judges, that they come from all walks of life. So you do have the person that's doing the weekly shop, you have the chefs, you have general consumers, you have young, old, there's a good mm. spread and a good mix of people. Absolutely. No, it absolutely is. And I always said to, to Artie over the years, you know, the nice thing about our system is that if all the judges decided not to actually show up, we could go down to the local supermarket and actually ask everybody that's wandering around shopping down there to come up and actually be judges for us. So it's for the people, <laughs> it's of the people, and it, for us it's a fantastic way of actually, as scientists who will spend the rest of the time actually in, in labs later on, it's a fantastic way for us to bring science out to the, to the, to the masses and that people get to see the relevance of science and how it can be used to sort of benefit like uh, local communities and the food producing community. And you're very clearly very passionate about science. You love science, you can tell it just the way you're talking. No, no, I, yes, absolutely we do. And, I, and one of the nice things is that, you know, again, the comments that I actually uh, get back particularly down here, and we, we've already got it like this year, was how that actually is transferred over into the students, because the students actually are a real backbone uh, to the running of this, uh, both in UCC, and that is just in terms of the logistics and helping us to prep uh, all the food and get things set up. It's not that they're necessarily judges, uh, and not one of them are, but it's the, and they all buy into it, and they, they love this, and they, they love what they do in UCC, but they also love the whole seen it um, manifest itself in reality down in, in Dingle when we come out of UCC and we're, we're there in the public. So I like to think it's not just me that's kind of passionate about but the whole group actually is passionate about it. Well there's nothing like a couple of days in Dingle now to, to make you feel passionate about food <laughs> I have to say. When Artie and you first got together 10 years ago mm. did you think it would be the animal that it is 10 years later? Well, it's, it's funny because I suppose now that we're at 10 years uh, with lots of conversations of, of what has happened over the 10 years and uh, one of the things we were only talking about last night is that, you know, 
at the time, no one would dare say what would happen in five years' time or what might happen in ten years' time. And consequently, as we're celebrating ten now, we have no photographs or very little by way of, of information that we'd gathered over the years to be able to go back and reflect on it. And I think that was kind of people actually not believing at the time that it, this could grow and that, and that, we, that we had the confidence to, to think about like ten years down the line. Um, and it was kind of more since we kind of went past our fifth birthday and it was six and seven we're kind of actually people had much more confidence in believing this could be around and last night the conversations were all about 20 years and I mean that's a, that's a fantastic um, that's a that's a fantastic feeling actually to have the people are not intimidated by a long period of time to project for a blast so we all now believe that it will be around in 20 years um, and can you see it changing over the next 10 years or you know, do you tweak it slightly or is it exactly the same today as it was 10 years ago? I mean, th that's, that's the beauty of the system. I, when, we came, when we came down here the first year, uh, it's actually still my, my favourite year because we were all flying by the seat of our pants. It was a bit like being in the Wild West, you know, uh, and, and, ho and just everything was a crisis and everything was a drama. And, but I loved it. It was just the whole thing of trying to fix problems as they actually occurred. Since then, the amount of control and the amount of organisation that actually has gone into it has, has, has tempered the beast uh, quite a bit. And every year there are changes, but they're not as dramatic uh, as we would have had maybe gone from the first year to the second, second year to the third, because we were learning all the time about how to handle increasing numbers of products, and then we kind of moved the operation, at least for the screening, away from Dingle and moved it back to UCC. And every year we've added something to, with the hope of trying to improve it and make it better, but there's always some new factor that actually uh, pops up every year and it's kind of everybody getting their heads together to figure out a way of getting around that particular problem so it's great from that point of view in that it never is never going to be stale it's never going to get old or tired uh, because you're always going to be challenged with something new but they're not the same number of challenges that we had since the early days when we started off well congratulations on the success it's just incredible it's great for me personally to be a part of it and to get to know you and, and all the team and you there'll be a bit of partying tonight oh, I, 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 we're in Dingle <laughs> no doubt about that we'll thanks, enjoy Sharon. that and great to talk to you thank you Sharon thanks very much cheers chin chin salut Schleinte. So that was Joe Carey, who, along with Artie Clifford, the chair of the Blossnerin, they created the awards 10 years ago and party we most certainly did at the weekend. And we must send them birthday wishes and well done on putting on such an excellent accreditation for food producers from all over Ireland. So we're at the end of the show tonight. Thanks for tuning in. And to my guests, Pamela Kelly, Russell and Patrick, Caroline Rigney and Joe Carey. Until next week, keep an eye out for the Blossnerin logo and products when you're doing your shopping because it is a guarantee that it's a quality product and let's finish off tonight with a listen to the crowd singing happy birthday to the Blossnerin team at the weekend Bon Appetit Happy birthday to Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon Appetit. <laughs> <laughs>